Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, combating weight bias. It may sound like another outcry from today's woke culture, but it is a serious stigma with serious consequences for victims of all ages. Also this morning, an administrator at one of America's busiest and most respected hospitals explains how instilling in our political leaders the lessons he has learned in treating patients may be the cure for what's wrong with the ailing nation. In our ongoing Keeping the Faith series, why is it that we celebrate and remember the big achievements in our lives when it is often the little wins that mean even more? And it's hot fun in the summertime. We have details on July programs and activities from the Hancock Park District. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, June 30th, 2021. The 181st day of 2021, 184 days remaining. So we are just about at the exact midpoint of the year. Today is International Asteroid Day. You need to say that in a very dramatic voice. You know, those uh, Saturday morning cartoon announcer voices. It is International Asteroid Day. It is also National Meteor Day. Those are kind of the same thing, aren't they? I mean, is there a difference between an asteroid and a meteor? I'm sure there is, and I'm sure someone will let us know, but I always use those terms interchangeably. So, International Asteroid Day and National Meteor Day. It is also National Parchment Day, and it is hmm, Social Media Day. Anyway. <clears throat> so, among the first things you need to know this morning... Uh, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories. This will certainly uh, cause some discussion. The House voted yesterday to remove Confederate statues from the U.S. Capitol, uh, as well as they want to replace the bust of Supreme Court Chief Justice Roger Taney, who wrote the Dred Scott decision, which, if you remember your high school uh American history class, the Dred Scott decision said that all people of African ancestry, both slaves and those who were free, could never be U.S. citizens. So they want to replace his bust at the Capitol as well. Uh, it was a vote of 285 to 120, 67 Republicans and all Democrats voted in favor of the measure. They passed a similar measure last year, but it stalled in the Senate. Obviously, uh, it has a much better chance of being approved this time around. And uh, I did not know this, but apparently there are a number of statues in the U.S. Capitol building honoring Confederate soldiers and generals, including one of Jefferson Davis, who is the president of the Confederacy, which I have to admit sounds a little odd to me. I mean, say what you will. Uh, we can certainly debate whether it is appropriate to honor Confederate leaders in former Confederate states, but at the U.S. Capitol, <laughs> to have a statue of the Confederate presidency seems a little odd to me. I mean, I doubt that there are statues of George Washington and Ben Franklin in the British House of Commons. You know what I mean? That's, <laughs> that just seems kind of odd. Anyway, we'll see where that goes. This is kind of interesting. The flying car may be 
uh, reality very soon. I, again, we always talk about how it just seems like we are living in a Jetsons world these days. And what was the first thing you saw and the opening title sequence of every episode of the Jetsons? It was George Jetson in his flying car. Uh, well, apparently, a new flying car recently completed a test flight for reporters. The air car, as it's called, flew for 35 minutes between two Slovakian cities. Uh, this was on Monday, this test flight. When it landed, it took less than three minutes to transform back into a road vehicle, which was then driven through the town. The air car has spent 40 hours in the air so far and can fly about 600 miles at a, t at a height of 8,200 feet. It has a BMW engine and runs on normal gasoline. And then when it lands, the wings of the car fold and run down the sides of the vehicle when it's in road driving mode. So that's pretty cool. When can I get one? That's all kinds of awesome right there. I wonder what kind of gas mileage it gets. By the way, speaking of gas mileage, if you are planning to travel over the upcoming holiday weekend, um... You may have trouble finding gas, uh, well, cheap gas anyway. The national average for a price of gallon of regular, as we head into the 4th of July holiday, $3.10. And you noticed that prices here locally spiked up yesterday. Kind of caught me by surprise. I did not expect that. The highest, right now, the, uh, the price is the highest it has been. Hold on to your hats here. Since October of 2014, it is 2% higher than it was on Memorial Day, 42% higher than it was a year ago. Of course, a year ago, you know, that probably doesn't count as more of an anomaly with all of the lockdowns, the pandemic, and fewer people traveling and all of that. Demand was much lower. So you kind of throw that out, but 2% higher than it was on Memorial Day and the highest it has been since October of 2014. And believe it or not, some gas stations still don't have gas at all. Um, and this is kind of interesting. It has nothing to do with the price or even the supply of gasoline. When you say some stations don't have gas, you think, is this still the Colonial Pipeline thing? No, this time around is a shortage of tanker truck drivers, coupled with the rising demand that is causing supply chain bottlenecks and shortages. So you may have trouble finding gas at any price for your 4th of July weekend. Experts say a number of stations are reporting that they are simply not able to get gas. Uh, this comes as AAA forecasts that 43.6 million Americans will travel by automobile this 4th of July weekend. So maybe not. <clears throat> uh, speaking of vehicles, how much would you pay... For a used 1981 Ford Escort, what do you think the market value on a 1981 Ford Escort would be? Well, one recently sold for $72,000. You think, who would pay $72,000 for a used 1981 Ford Escort? Well, this particular vehicle was the car given to Princess Diana by Prince Charles two months before their wedding. 
sold at auction for seventy-two thousand bucks. It's about thirty grand more than they anticipated. CNN says the sale comes with the original registration number, original paintwork, and radio and a working radio. So. Wonder what uh, Princess Diana would listen to on the radio when she was puttering around in her Ford Escort. <laughs> really, a Ford Escort? She should have known that the marriage was in trouble right from the start. If that's the car that your your soon to be husband gives you, and he is the uh, heir to the throne of Great Britain, and he's given you an Escort, you got to think something's wrong. You know, that's. <laughs> Uh, here is something interesting. If you suffer from insomnia, got a cure for you. It is a process called resetting your body clock. And it is said to, well, the, the technical name, the clinical name is chronotherapy. It is resetting the body clock by chronotherapy. And they say it can help improve sleep and in turn improve mood takes five days to go through this process. Uh, the first night, you stay up all night, and then in the following days, you go to bed early but progressively later. And finally, on the fifth night and from that night on, you sleep between 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. And, of course, you can adjust that depending on when you have to wake up in the morning. People who undergo chronotherapy... Also wear light-filtering amber goggles before their early bedtimes to stimulate the release of the sleep hormone melatonin. And when they wake, their eyes and faces are exposed to bright light from a light box. British psychiatrist Professor David David Veal says chronotherapy is like resetting your internal computer using the Control-Alt-Delete mechanism. <laughs> which lets you close out faulty programs on your computer. Uh, it says, does the same thing for your body. The effects of chronotherapy are much more immediate compared to taking medications or even doing talk therapy, both of which can take several weeks to work. So there you go. Good try it. Kind of interesting. You insomniacs. And lastly, among the first things that you need to know this morning, research from the Ohio State University this is hard-hitting research, they say, and has been very warm over the past uh, several days, uh, pretty much everywhere across the country. So this is earth-shattering research from OSU. They say trees could be the key to cooler temperatures during the summer. <laughs> this is straight out of the file of, duh, uh, they created a digital model and determined the amount of tree canopy over a city had a significant impact on what is known as the urban heat island effect. They found that on a day when the temperature was 93 degrees Fahrenheit, the temperature could be reduced by three and a half degrees if all the current trees in that area had been fully grown. They also found that both shaded and sun-exposed grassy areas had significant heat-reducing effects, but shaded grass provided more cooling than sun-exposed grass. I know. I am just as shocked and alarmed and amazed as you are. <laughs> shaded grass is cooler. 
Imagine that. The co-author of the study, Jean-Michel Gouldman, says we learned that greater heat mitigation effects can be obtained by maximizing the shade on building rooftops and roadways. Groundbreaking research right here out of the Ohio State University. <laughs> From the file of, duh. There you go, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, partly cloudy today with scattered showers and storms, a high of 82, a chance of showers and storms tonight, a low of 70. The Highway Patrol is investigating a fatal crash on Interstate 75 in Findlay. The Highway Patrol says a car going northbound early Tuesday went off the right side of the interstate, hit a signpost, and caught on fire. The Findlay Fire Department responded and put the fire out. The Highway Patrol says due to the injuries, the identity of the driver was not able to be immediately confirmed. The crash remains under investigation. A community meeting was held in Findlay on the proposed Eagle Creek floodwater storage basin. Eagle Township trustee David Bauer voiced his concerns about the project at the meeting, and we spoke with him afterwards. I'm uh, concerned that it's not going to help that much. It's, a, it's an expense that's not going to pay for itself, as far as I'm concerned. And he said he doesn't believe officials have done a very good job in communicating the project to the public and people who live in the area. The 600 to 800 acre storage basin would be constructed west of US 68 and north of Township Road 49, just south of Findlay. Get more on the project on our website. The Findlay Rotary Club has passed the gavel to its new president. Matt Black will take over that role from Sarah Sisser. Black is involved in numerous organizations in Findlay in addition to the Rotary Club. Get more on our website. Governor DeWine has signed a bill into law allocating funds from the Federal American Rescue Plan for use in Ohio. The measure calls for $2.2 billion to be invested in, among other things, pediatric health care and improvements to the state's water and sewer infrastructure. It'll also be used to pay back Ohio's loan to the Unemployment Insurance Trust Fund, which helped pay unemployment claims during the pandemic. A college basketball game that's scheduled for Columbus this fall is already drawing a lot of attention. The Ohio State men's basketball team will host Duke this season as part of the Big Ten ACC Challenge. The Blue Devils will come to Columbus on Tuesday, November 30th. This will be the fourth meeting ever between the two programs. Duke is 2-1 and one against Ohio State. That's Owen's Dom Tiberi reporting. This season is Duke head coach Mike Krzyzewski's final year at the helm. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, at the risk of adding to what can sometimes seem like an endless parade of biases and forms of discrimination we are told we must avoid, a recent study finds 30% of girls and 24% of boys are teased or bullied by their peers on account of their weight. It goes beyond childhood as well. 72% get it from their own family members and nearly one-third of doctors admit to spending less time with an obese patient than they would with a patient of quote-unquote normal weight. Uh, joining us this morning from the Obesity Action Commission are President CEO Joe Neglowski and Chairwoman Patricia Neese. And uh, I throw this out to, to both of you uh, to address. I mean, certainly you can understand that, that people may react to the topic of weight bias initially with a certain level of uh, exasperation. I mean, here's one more thing we need to be woke about. How do you overcome that to, to drive home the point that this is something that we need to take seriously? 
Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think what I would challenge people to recognize is that when you make fun of somebody or you stigmatize them, you're probably doing it under the guise that you are motivating them to do something about their body size, to, to you know, be so-called healthier. But the reality is, and it's been repeated in dozens of studies now, if you actually stigmatize someone or you make fun of them because of their body weight, they don't lose weight. They actually gain weight. Mm. And so if you're really serious about trying to improve people's health, which is really the goal here is for people to be as healthy as possible, we just need to knock it off when it comes to the shame and the blame about body size. You also point out that, and, and I think it's a, a fair point, everyone would agree that fat shaming, as it is often called, is is wrong. Uh, and, and you point out that this is something that, that people do thinking that maybe on some level uh, they're doing a good thing, but without realizing the impact that it truly has, which is very wide-ranging. That's absolutely right, and I can tell you the impact all the shame and blame had on me. Um, You know, as you said, the studies show, and I was an example of this, the kids are bullied about weight very early on and at a high percentage. Mm -hmm. I think the kids are bullied more about weight than anything else, frankly. Um, And throughout the course of my life, I've faced bullying and ridicule from friends, family, media, the media that tells you weight is all your fault and also um, idolizes thinness, often, the entertainment industry, yeah, often projects, the medical community. Yeah, often projects and, an unhealthy uh, image uh, in the media, sure. Right, and then what happened to me was I took it all on board and became my own worst bully. Uh, and it lowered my self-esteem, led to depression led me to eat in dangerous ways, frankly, to actually disordered eating issues, um, all because of the weight bias I'd experienced yeah. my entire life. Now, now, Joe, you mentioned something uh, interesting. I want to go back to this uh, here, and uh, a lot of medical experts have pushed back on this with the argument that obesity is not a healthy way to live. And if we normalize it, we are tacitly giving approval to what we know can be a serious health condition. So how then do we uh, encourage uh, healthy habits in a more positive and constructive way? Right. So I think it's, it's interesting we could look at other examples of other conditions here. You know, for example, you know, uh, with cancer, you know, cancer is a bad thing, but we treat the people with cancer with compassion and empathy. And by the way, you know, we have a, a, a empathetic conversation with them that leads them towards better care. Mm-hmm. But with obesity, what we have the tendency to do is, is just tell them they have obesity, wag their finger at them and tell them to lose some weight. And we don't actually guide them towards what better care looks like. And so for healthcare professionals, you know, almost all of us who live at higher body weights will remember the experience the first time a doctor talked to us about our weight. And almost every time it was a finger wag saying, you need to lose weight. Yeah. And my response to that is, no, duh. I look in the mirror every morning. I recognize what that is. Why don't you actually give me the tools and resources to do it? And healthcare providers have access to those tools. So we believe very strongly if your weight is impacting your health, that you should seek treatment and you should seek medical care to be able to better your health. 
but we need our doctors to offer it and offer it in a compassionate and empathetic way. And as kind of a sidebar to all of this, as it relates to the medical field, uh, you say those with obesity uh, have faced stigma even as recently as with respect to the COVID-19 pandemic in terms of uh, care uh, for those uh, who have contracted or even vaccinations. Yeah, so if you look at the around COVID-19 and obesity, we know people who have obesity who contract COVID-19 have some of the highest complication rates. And, you know, early on when we were talking about having to prioritize ventilator use, there was some talk about do we deprioritize people who live with larger bodies because mm-hmm. somehow they did this to themselves. And even when it came to vaccines, it was interesting. So we did ultimately prioritize people with obesity to get access, to get early access to vaccines but there was some pushback in local communities, right? People, people were upset about that. You know, people were questioning why uh, someone with a larger body was in line, say, with those over age 65 to get the vaccine. And so um, th- that really just points to the complexity of how bias enters into all of these challenging situations, especially the challenge of COVID and obesity. Now, I can hear some of those uh, listening saying, uh, I, I have experienced this firsthand. For those who have uh, experienced uh, or fear they may experience this type of weight bias, particularly from a healthcare provider. But really, well, let's let's talk about healthcare first of all. Uh, what uh, can be done to overcome that sort of uh, treatment stigma? I guess, for lack of a better term. My best advice would be to find a better doctor. But apart from that, one of the tools I've used, techniques I've used to try and get doctors to look beyond weight is to ask them, frankly, if they've attributed whatever problem I've seen them about Mm -hmm. solely to my weight, you know, lose weight and this won't hurt kind of thing. Ask, say to them, how would you treat me if I were a slender person? What tests would you run? How would you evaluate this? To try and get them past their own biases and get to think about me as a whole person and yeah. not just my weight. Yeah. What about outside uh, of the healthcare environment? If a person believes that they have been uh, the victim of weight bias, because as we were mentioning, uh, this is very pervasive uh, in society as a whole, whether we're talking about, um, you know, within a, a peer set or an organization or a, a workforce, uh, is there any uh, legal recourse, especially as it relates to uh, the, the job site? Is this considered a protected status? The only state in the country that has a statute is in Michigan that Mm. makes it illegal to discriminate based on body size. Uh, The state court in Washington state has also rendered um, uh, opinions that allow people with obesity and higher body weights to be protected in some instances in employment circumstances. Mm. But this is another area that needs to change. There needs to be legislation uh, that says, no matter, and it, it could be overweight, underweight, whatever, don't discriminate based on body size. You at the uh, Obesity Action Coalition have a stop weight bias campaign. Uh, tell people where folks can learn more about this campaign and uh, along with some resources on how to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Yeah, so just need to visit stopweightbias.com. 
And on that site, you'll find lots of resources to better understand weight bias and give you tools to be able to combat it. And I just want to challenge all of your listeners that if you see weight bias, it is time to step up and say enough's enough. You know, if, if you have a friend that experiences it, if you experience it personally, just tell whoever's sharing those words with you that, hey, that's, this is not the way we treat people. We want to treat people with dignity and respect. And by the way, you're making the obesity epidemic worse when you when you yeah. act the way when you act in ways that encourage weight bias it is just the right thing to do as is the case with any form of bullying again uh, joe neglowski and patricia niece uh, ceo and chairwoman uh, respectively of the obesity action commission will have a link up at our webpage for more information thank you both for taking the time we appreciate it thank you so much Well, our next guest, Dr. Nate Link, is the chief medical officer at Bellevue Hospital in New York City. You'll recall that at the height of the COVID-19 outbreak last year, Bellevue was kind of the epicenter of the pandemic. And interestingly enough, Dr. Link has been at Bellevue for 37 years, having arrived at the onset of the AIDS epidemic. So he's got kind of a bookend perspective uh, on this. He has now written a new book called The Ailing Nation, Lessons from the Bedside for America's Leader. And Dr. Link, to be clear, this is not a narrative on the state of the medical system or the shortcomings in healthcare in this country. You are applying the lessons you have learned as a doctor and hospital administrator to American politics in general here, right? That's exactly right, Chris. I, I in my, you know, four decades in the hospital, I've I've witnessed a remarkable transformation in American medicine, um, a real advancement in culture. Uh, you know, the way we use evidence to make decisions, the way we handle mistakes, the way we treat staff and patients. It's, it's been a remarkable evolution to get to where we are now. When I look across the divide at our political landscape and national leaders, I see uh, something very different, you know, big, big gaps. It's almost like they're in the dark ages. So I thought I would write a book and share what we've learned in our field um, with, uh, you know, the political arena. What was the great epiphany where you put those two things together and, and correlated one with the other? Well, I think uh, it, it's in a, a lot of different areas, but one, one in particular that uh, impressed me was the difference in how uh, the medical community uses a systematic approach to solve problems. Mm-hmm. I, I'll just give you, I'll give you a story as an example uh, some years ago, we had a patient in our ICU who was on a ventilator that malfunctioned. So an alarm went off in the nursing station. Uh, the patient's nurse, we'll call her Natalie, uh, didn't respond to the alarm. She just took care of her other patients. When the alarm went off again, she went to see the patient, but it was too late, um, and he actually died. Hmm. Now, when we, the hospital leaders, learned of this, we realized that um, this was a gross dereliction of duty, and we were going to have to punish Natalie as, a, as an example. But we always take a systematic approach to, to uh, you know, adverse events and problems. So, you know, we went to the unit and, and uh, interviewed the staff there and investigated the equipment and all. And when we talked to the other nurses, we found that none of them were answering the alarms. Um, they were uh, going off all the time, false alarms day and night. Mm. And the nurses learned they couldn't do their work if they answered the alarm. So... In the end, it wasn't a people problem. It was a system problem. We, we had a defective alarm system, and then we realized it, it was we, the leaders, who were responsible for that. So we had to repair the alarms and uh, retrain the nurses and monitor everything, and then that, that fixed the problem. And that's what I've learned in my 
career that so often when what you see is bad behavior or errors in Mm -hmm. people turn out to be system problems and you need to identify those defects and repair them. So is there an area where you can sort of relate that uh, incident to something in American politics and kind of tie those things together for folks? Yeah, yeah. That, 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 so that's a great question, Ben. Uh, and I have a good example for you. Um, let's talk about the behavior of our leaders, our senators and Congress people. Uh, we, we keep electing people and then we're disappointed in their behavior, in their uh, effect, lack of effectiveness. Mm-hmm. In fact, most Americans feel the people they send to Washington don't get anything done. They don't work together. Um, well, when you have one person behaving badly, maybe they are a bad apple, but when you have a pattern of bad behavior, it's almost always a system problem. And there are a number of system defects that bring out this bad behavior. And one is hot in the news, which is gerrymandering. That's a, that's a system defect. Because, I mean, as you know, when we, uh, when we reshape districts to create safe seats, right. both Republicans and Democrats do this, mm-hmm. what you've done is uh, created kind of an extreme red or blue district. And the person who comes from that district and goes to Washington knows they have a safe seat, but they have very little incentive to cooperate, compromise, or collaborate you know, with the other party. In fact, if they do so, they'll probably get in trouble with uh, those very red and blue voters back in their district. Yeah. So in a way, gerrymandering is a system defect that brings about the bad behavior. And we can keep blaming these people and, and putting new people in their place, but they're all going to behave the same until we actually fix the defect, which is to eliminate gerrymandering. You know, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things that, that I have noticed is that uh, when you talk about the dissatisfaction the American people have with the leaders once they are elected in terms of the job that they actually do when they get to Washington. But if you ask individuals, they are generally satisfied with their own uh, elected representatives. The perception is that it's all the other people in Congress that are causing the problem. We're, you know, our, our guy wants to do the right thing, wants to do right by his district and by the country, but it's all of the other roadblocks they're getting from all of the other. And it doesn't matter what district you're talking about. So, and you know, one person could be the good guy in the minds of one and the obstructionist in the minds of the other. So I guess the, you know, that, yeah, that's exactly true. And that's the point here that you come from a district that's really solid blue and you're solid blue. Mm -hmm. And then people, People, people like you, and they feel like everybody else is an obstructionist. But of course, everybody's coming at this from a different angle. So, so you look at uh, in the book uh, highlighting qualities of some of the recent leaders that we have had, uh, presidential uh, presidential leaders in, in particular. Do you see examples of? positive qualities, the types of things that you're talking about in recent leaders? I, I'm sure you don't have to look very far to find some of the negative qualities that we're talking about, but do you see signs of some of those positive qualities as well? Well, I'm going to confess, I'm, first of all, I'm not a Democrat or Republican. I'm an independent voter. So, you know, I try to look at things objectively, mm-hmm. but I have to say I've been heartened by some of the early actions that um, or or let's say the focus of the Biden the Biden White House, I think there has been an effort to rise above to some degree 
uh, political divisions and, and, you know, sort of um, orient our approach to one that's more nationwide. And I think the the COVID response is a really great example. We, we went from a very divisive approach to uh, one that is more just based on getting the work done. And I think the federal government has taken a more of a lead, they say, on a say, vaccine administration and getting that to work well um, and focusing on not just a red or a blue state problem, but kind of a national problem. I, I think that's been actually a step in the right direction. You also talk in, in the book about something called just culture. Uh, in medicine. What is that? How can it be applied to politics in general? Yes, good. Uh, well, this this stems from the story I told. Um, thinking about problems as not uh, people problems where we have to identify culprits and blame them, but mm-hmm. more as system issues is part of the just culture of medicine. Uh, it's a management approach where you assume that your frontline staff, your professional nurses and doctors are trying to do the right thing. When things don't go well, we again don't we don't point fingers. We try to find the underlying system issues that tend to lead people astray or fail to protect them from making mistakes. And that creates um, a great a much better relationship between staff and management because we tend to work together to solve problems. And staff will even raise their hand when they make their own mistakes, knowing we're not going to punish them for uh, for bringing that up. And that's, we'll work together uh, to solve the problem. Yeah, that's a pretty big ask in politics, though, when uh, voters have the uh, final say, and many of them have long memories, especially when there is a uh, uh, perceived, they, when it's perceived that they have been wronged by their representatives. Well, and Chris, I think you hit the nail on the head. So you, you kind of leading to my overall conclusion, which is you know, who are the leaders that are going to fix the system that's bringing about all the bad, bad behavior? And the answer is the voters. The, the, in, the, in American democracy, or constitutionally, it's the voters who are in charge. We're the leaders of the leaders. We pick representatives. We pick our presidents. We make those choices, and then we fire them if we don't like them. But ultimately, we're responsible for the outcome. And I I want voters to take this job seriously. Let's put in people who promote the just culture, who are who are honest and have integrity and trying to do the right thing and not the folks who are pointing fingers and blaming and shaming. If we the voters don't do that, it's never going to happen. So essentially, this is a book that is uh, geared mostly toward at the end of the day, uh, the voters, the general populace, uh, rather than the politicians themselves. Well, yes. And so in truth, uh, I, my book is called The Ailing Nation Lessons from the Bedside for America's Leaders. The leaders I'm referring to are actually the electorate. Yeah. Again, uh, Dr. Nate Link is the chief medical officer at Bellevue Hospital in New York City. His uh, new book is The Ailing Nation Lessons from the Bedside for America's Leaders. Do you have a website where folks can learn more about the book? I do. I have a website called snickersnack.com, and I have a, a YouTube channel, Nate Link MD, where I have a lot of video essays where I promote the concept of what I call evidence-based politics. That would be politics, hopefully, uh, steeped in truth. We'll link that up. There's got to be a uh, story behind the uh, name of the website, but we don't have time to get into it now. But uh, in any event, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll link mm-hmm. it up on our webpage. Folks can check it out there. Dr. Link, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me.
time now for our ongoing Keeping the Faith series. You know, in life, it is often the big achievements that get noticed and get remembered uh, as the years go by. And then those small wins kind of fall away. They kind of get lost uh, in the fog of you know, the, the every day, you know what I mean? Is we remember the big achievements, but the little things uh, often go unremembered. But for one pastor from Meridian, Mississippi, winning the voice on NBC television was a big achievement, obviously, but he says he wants fellow believers to celebrate the small ones even more. Correspondent John Clemens reports this morning, Keeping the Faith. Todd Tillman writes in his book, Every Little Win, How Celebrating Small Victories Can Lead to Big Joy, How His Life Changed After Winning The Voice on NBC. I was on The Voice season 18 and and remarkably won the show. And so when we won, we were reached out to by a podcast. My wife, actually, they reached out to her. um, And the podcaster's name is Trisha Goyer. And so after they interviewed with one another, or basically Trisha interviewed my wife. Um, she said, you know, we should write a book. And so basically I was like, I don't know how to write a book, you know, and so, but Trisha does. Trisha Goyer of USA Today has published 80 books and is the mother of 10, while Todd and his wife, Brooke, have eight, including two they adopted from South Korea. We've just seen that every every time we t- took a great sort of leap of faith, God was always really faithful, and we've we've seen a lot of beautiful fruit come out of a lot of those things. Like you know, you mentioned those adoptions, man. Ha- had we not stepped out on faith and did that, man, well, I don't, I can't even imagine what our family would be like now. Todd's wife Brooke tells us about the competition on the program, The Voice. Oh wow, yeah, it was such a surreal experience. Um, I got. So nervous. I was more nervous than he was. I mean, it was surreal to walk out on that, you know, in that arena, on that stage, and just it just was a bigger than life moment. I just couldn't have been prouder of him. I mean, I I knew how amazing he was. I knew how phenomenal of not just a talent that he was, but of a person that he was. And now I felt like the whole world was getting to see that, and so it just made me super proud. Whether in the big achievements of life or the small victories, Todd can sense that support. What I've done in, in my life is I've got a lot of people around me, like my wife and, and other friends and family, who are very supportive. They're willing to sort of push me, you know, to, to, to take the risks and things like that. Todd has left the pastoral ministry, moved his family to the Nashville area, where he works full-time in the music industry. Like on one hand, I knew that I was taking the right step because we had been knowing that that was coming. But on the other hand, not only had I been there, you know, a very long time, but also, you know, I guess because we had been there so long, we have lots of friends there. A lot of our family lives there. And once again, man, it's more the relationships. There are parts of pastoral ministry that I miss and parts that I don't miss so much, but the people I just pretty much 100% miss. So it was, it was really tough. Brooke Tillman writes in their book, Every Little Win, that we're all writing our stories every day, even in the ones that seem mundane. Everybody just always looks for the big wins. And I know when we talk about the voice and the adoption and just different things in our lives, you're like, those are big wins. Those are big deals. And yes, they are. 
But it was the little small miracles along the way that really make for the big wins. And so, you know, to me, you just have to look for those those little wins. They're just significant. I mean, there is beauty in the mundane, normal, everyday. Like, I think God sends us so many little things, little miracles that we overlook because we consider them small. Todd is a prayer for what every little win, how celebrating small victories can lead to big joy, will mean for the reader. So hopefully people will give themselves a break and say, you know what, I might not be at the top of the mountain just yet, but I'm not, I'm not at the bottom either, you know, and, uh, and I can take away something from good experiences, bad experiences, even kind of indifferent ones. I can take something away, you know. That's what I hope they get from the book. This is John Clemens reporting. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Stories of individuals getting their just desserts. A Texas man is reported to be in serious condition after peeping, after getting caught peeping on a young girl. Houston police say two parents, mom and dad, heard their 10-year-old daughter scream. They ran to her room to see what was the matter. They found a man peering into the home from outside her bedroom window. They chased the man to a nearby gas station and called 911. But uh, the dad says uh, he pulled a gun. Or no, I'm sorry. Uh, Mom actually, (laughs) this is even better. Uh, Mom actually had a gun, you know, just to confront the man. And they can chasing the man. She's got a gun. Uh, he tried to wrestle the gun from mom's hands. And that's when dad fired, hitting the peeping Tom at least three times. <laughs> Deputies say the parents are licensed gun carriers and the case will be referred for review by a grand jury. But I think I, I don't I, I don't envision mom and dad being indicted in this case, especially in Texas. You know what I mean? <laughs> You catch a guy peeping, a peeping Tom outside your 10-year-old's bedroom window. Um, I think he's pretty much getting what he's got coming to him. (laughs) This is, and speaking of people getting what's coming to them, this is actually kind of a sad story. Again, our general rule in the broken news is that we don't make fun of stories when people lose their life because it's never funny when people die. However, there are exceptions to every rule. And this is one that is just so monumentally stupid that I've got to, I've got to include it. A Massachusetts man is tragically dead after jumping from a Harbor bridge. Uh, Now he didn't, he did it intentionally, but not with the idea of ending his life. Authorities responded to the Edward Foster bridge Um, in Massachusetts yesterday afternoon, after receiving multiple calls, the victim's body was pulled from the water about an hour later. Here's the story. Officials say the man was part of a landscaping crew working near the bridge, and some of them decided to jump off the bridge to cool off. (laughs) Seriously? I mean, honestly. If all your friends jump off a bridge, would you? Well, apparently this guy did, and they got this brilliant idea. This will be a great way to cool off. Uh, In addition to the uh, one that tragically did not make it, another worker had to be pulled from the water, but he will survive. He is recovering at a nearby hospital. But I mean, seriously, it's not funny when people die, but seriously, that's... Uh, Man, 
That's why they say, don't jump off a bridge. Uh, Dumb criminals in the uh, broken news this morning. Uh, Troopers in Bedford County, California, say they went to a home recently to speak to a, a person at the residence on a completely unrelated matter, just a minor thing. They needed to uh, talk to someone at the residence. And when they arrived, <laughs> they noticed a very distinct, strong aroma of marijuana. They soon, lo- lear- soon learned that Vincent Fernandez Sr. had a lengthy criminal history and an arrest warrant out for various drug offenses in the state. they uh, returned two days later with a search warrant. That was the problem. They couldn't arrest him right away because they didn't have a search warrant. So they got one and returned a couple of days later. He was still there. He was mowing his grass outside the home and growing his grass inside the home. They seized marijuana, packaging materials, scales, more than $6,000 in cash and a cache of weapons. Mr. Fernandez charged with several Uh, offenses including possession of drug paraphernalia possession of marijuana his son charged with possession with intent to deliver and so on and so forth so and it all started because they just needed to talk with someone at the residence on a completely unrelated matter so sometimes you just kind of luck into it speaking of uh, dumb people in the news dumb things that people do a man in maine tried to post bail with $200 $200 in counterfeit bills. <laughs> uh, the uh, village of Waterboro, Maine, said deputies uh, responding to a report of a stolen vehicle early Sunday morning stopped a man walking nearby. They determined he was not involved, but arrested him on an outstanding warrant uh, on an uh, unrelated theft. The man said he had enough money to post bond or post bail, but when the bail commissioner arrived, he tried to pay with two counterfeit $100 bills. (laughs) Uh, Not surprisingly, he was denied bail and returned to jail with an additional charge of forgery. (laughs) And finally, in the broken news this morning, boy, you talk about playing it cool. Surveillance video out of Nuevo Leon, Mexico, shows the moment a man is robbed at gunpoint while dining at a restaurant, but he can't be bothered to stop eating his chicken wings. (laughs) You can see it. The guy is sitting down, surrounded by several other patrons um, at other tables. As the, uh, as the video unfolds, a man wearing a helmet can be seen entering the restaurant armed with a handgun, pointing at the man who is sitting down at his table eating his wings. Other customers appear shocked, and the robber gestures at the diners to hand over their belongings. But this one man just keeps eating his wings. <laughs> at one point, he stops to take out his phone and give it to the robber, but then he just continues eating his wings. <laughs> Talk about playing it cool. I don't know that I could do that, but hey, that's it. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. 
it's the WFIN Virtual Car Show. Get them out, shine them up, and upload a pic of your classic, and we'll post it to WFIN.com for everybody to see. In addition, we'll have an online car show calendar so that you know when and where all the area shows are. It's chrome and horsepower on display online. The WFIN Virtual Car Show and Calendar. Thanks to Details Auto Spa, Loretta Chevrolet Cadillac, and 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Now, a lot of folks have already long returned to the office after the pandemic lockdowns. I think for most people, it lasted maybe a month or two, but there are still a number of businesses nationwide where people have still not returned or not fully returned to the office. And a recent survey finds about half of those workers who are still working remotely believe that it will be hard for them to go back to the office after having become used to working from home. So it's about half of us that say this is going to be a tough transition back to quote-unquote normal. And 46% in the survey said that they now actually prefer video calls, video conferences over in-person interactions. So it just kind of demonstrates how we have come to be accustomed to this quote-unquote new normal. But in the final analysis, most businesses are going to eventually, if they haven't already, require workers to get back to a more normal routine. And as it turns out, that is not necessarily something we are entirely dreading. There are a lot of things about our everyday routines that we have missed over the course of the past year. For example, you wouldn't think that the daily commute is something that people would miss, but this one poll survey of 2,000 Americans finds that after more than a year, more than two in three of us are excited to get back to our mundane pre-pandemic routine. 58% miss their commute. (laughs) Who would have thought? 58% miss their commute. Um, Let's see here. 53% miss the daily non-work-related conversations with coworkers. 48% miss taking care of their cars. 42% miss their morning routines in general, and 34%, women, I would guess, more than men, miss wearing makeup. (laughs) So some of the ordinary, everyday, mundane things that we actually miss, as it turns out, uh, about our regular morning routines. to believe it is the last day of june we're heading into the month of july already man as summer is flying by and of course we have a lot of hot fun in the summertime with july programs and activities from the hancock park district michelle rumschlag on the line with us uh, this morning and first of all uh, michelle this is going to be a great weekend to maybe head out to riverside park Uh, Take a dip in the pool or 
go jump in the river. Well, not jumping in the river quite literally, right, but right. We jumping. don't want anybody in the river. <laughs> right. We have our Zonta Landing boat rentals, um, of course, are open every weekend through the summer, through Labor Day. But just wanted to, I guess, let everybody know, even though it's July 4th, we will still be open okay. um, on Sunday. So Saturday, Sunday, normal hours, 1 until 7 p.m. The last rental going at 630 of course, we've got our single kayaks, double kayaks, canoes, and the pedal boats are back this year, which people have been enjoying. So, um, And it's only $5 for half an hour. So if you haven't been in a boat in a while and want to try it out, I mean, it's it's a pretty right. you know, cheap way to kind of save something you like. And, and, um, but, yeah, and, and it's cash or check. Just, okay. just for that. We don't, we don't have credit card um, capabilities out there. So okay, we do need so something to keep in mind with that. that. Yep. Uh, you mentioned it's going to be open uh, both Saturday and Sunday on the holiday. Now, I know a lot of folks have Monday off for the uh, holiday because it falls on the weekend. Will the uh, boathouse be open on Monday as well or just Saturday and Sunday? Just Saturday and Sunday, yes. Okay, so make note yep, of that so if you do want to go. Yeah. Yep. So if you want to head out, yeah, make sure you do it on on set. And it looks like the weather's going to be um, not as as hot as it's been the last couple of days. Right. So um, you know, and does rain and does rain make a difference? I mean, I'm I'm assuming if it's storming, then you're not going to you know let people go out uh, onto the river. But if you're just getting some uh, light rain or something like that, does that preclude people from renting? No. So okay. yeah, if if there's kind of you know, if it's threat of storms, you know, if there's any type of like thunderstorm warning, we won't let you out. Yeah, if you don't want to be on the river then. You know, right. If we hear thunder, we have to, and that's with any of our programs. If we hear thunder, we got to pause for 30 minutes just to keep everybody safe and undercover, or right. we won't let you go out on, on a boat. Um, but if it's just kind of lightly raining or sprinkling, and have, I mean, some people like to do that. So, no, if it's just a little bit okay. of a rain... We'll still let you, you know, rent. I mean, if it's kind of a downpour, we usually, and most people don't want to be in a boat. <laughs> True. But if it's sprinkling, I'm thinking, of, yeah. you know, if you're getting a little bit oh, of a yeah. shower on a hot day, that's uh, probably not such a bad thing. So uh, right. just something yep. to keep so in mind with respect sprinkle. to that. So. Yep. Or if it's happening while you're out there and it starts to rain a little bit and sprinkle, yep, you're, you're totally fine. All right. Very good. Uh, and then we are off and running into the month of July. And uh, as we've mentioned, along with everything else, uh, we're starting to see more and more programming return. What are some of the highlights for the upcoming month? Well, we've got um, a new program happening here this summer, and it's happening weekly, and it's called Little Hands Nature Club, and this is for geared for kids that are preschool age, kind of three to five, though you can bring older siblings. I know we've had some older kids, you know, the kind of the whole family's been coming out, and these are kind of outside activities. We do our story times, which we're continuing to do, but this is focusing more on just keeping kids outside, an outside activity, and then encouraging them to stay and um, kind of walk the trails or do things outside in the parks. So the next one that we have coming up is Wednesday, July 7th, and that theme is going to be Handy Plants. It's from 10.30 to 11.30 a.m., and that one's taking place at Litzenberg Memorial Woods, and you're just going to meet in that big grassy area outside the shelter there. So obviously going to be talking about plants. Again, it's usually some hands-on activities. No registration. We're, we're kind of getting back to that, which is nice. So you just need to show mm-hmm. up at 1030 at Litzenberg um, if you want to partake in that one. So that's our Little Hands Nature Club. And we've got them, again, weekly throughout the summer. So, again, you know, I usually just highlight a few things, but HancockParks.com, our programming activities calendar, everything that's going on is going to be on there through the end of August. Okay. We've got everything through August on our calendar already. Anything else we want to uh, highlight and make sure that people are aware of in the month of July? Well, if uh, you want to go out on the river with kind of a naturalist, 
Lead program, um, you can join me on Friday, July 9th for a morning kayak float. So we get out there at 7 a.m. So for all you early risers um, want to join me, it's going to be $15. You just need to register by the Thursday before. This is for adults, so you need to be 18 and up to do that. And uh, we just meet us on to landing. We go upriver, down to like East Point, turn around, come back, very leisurely pace. You know, we'll, I'll point out the birds, the different trees, again, kind of talk about the nature that's along the river. So um, hopefully we'll be able to do it. Um, we had one scheduled last night, but the storm that came right. through. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Again, <laughs> kinda, case in kinda, point. We had to cancel. Just yep. exactly was what it, we were just be- talking about. Yeah. Right, right. Yep, something kind of snuck up last minute and we weren't able to go on the river. So that will be, and again, I have a few of those throughout the summer. Some morning ones, some evening ones, but this is a morning one. It's 7 till 9, again, uh, Friday, July 9th for that. All right. Uh, Anything else to uh, highlight and make sure that people are aware of? Well, we're doing our summer camps this year. We we didn't last year because, and you know, we had to make a decision last May, and, and everything was just starting to you know figure out how we could do programming mm-hmm. through COVID, and right. so we just decided not to do them. So we're excited that we have them back. We've been doing them throughout June. Um, we have them through August. So if there's something that you know, check them out. I wouldn't delay in registering for them because some of them are starting to get numbers. But one I want to talk about is our Pioneer Kids Life Camp. It's a two-day camp on Wednesday, July 14th, and Thursday, July 15th. This is for kids ages 9, 10, and 11. And just like it impl- the name implies, it's out at Lutzenberg in the McKinnis House. Everything Pioneer. You get to cook on the cook stove. Um, you're going to do some Pioneer chores, do some games, hit the trails. Um, so just a lot of fun for, you know, for that age group of kids. It's $30. We just need you to register um by the day before if there's still space so yeah, i know so- we've got a handful of kids already registered so yeah it's one of those things it's those or we do our one day camps in august and some of those are already half full and we're a month away yeah so those those generally fill but i feel like this summer people are just wanting to do some more of those normal oh, activities absolutely, yeah and and yeah so if it's something that you think you might want to do you know get the kids signed up i i wouldn't do it because we do have a maximum with most of our with most of our programs. Okay, so, so we, ASAP. We don't want to miss out. ASAP on those uh, camp registrations and along the same right. lines, uh, are are uh, facility reservations uh, open once again? Yes, so we're at full open, full capacity, so we don't have to have smaller numbers or space out like mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So yeah, we're definitely seeing um, kind of back to like if if you want a, a shelter at Riverbend on a weekend in the summer, um, look ahead. I mean, you might want to book that now if it's something that you're trying to do here this summer. And of course with all of our rentals, they are a year out. So if you're, if you've got something planned for next summer, for next, um, you know, graduation or a wedding, it's a year to date. So you could today sign up for next year's June 30th if you, if you wanted to. So, so we only do a year out, but yeah, everything's open. So, you know, if you got to want to get something planned, you know, check out the park. Now get, is the time to, really now yep. is the time to do that. Uh, so right. an update from uh, the uh, Hancock Park District on activities, programs and such, everything going on in the parks as we head into the month of July, more hot fun in the summertime. Michelle Rumschlag with us uh, this morning. And as you mentioned, a lot more details on everything going on uh, throughout the summer, actually on your website, right? Right. HancockParks.com. We'll link it up on our webpage. Michelle, thanks very much. 
Thanks for having me. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Once again, want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, that is goodmornings.net. And coming up tomorrow, a reminder about the effect of Backyard Independence Day fireworks on some veterans, while at the same time debunking the persistent myth of the dangerous PTSD vet. To speak with Hancock County Veterans Services Director Nicole Coleman. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. And now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.